pray with me as we look at the scripture today? Father, we love you so much, and uh, we're so grateful for all that you've done for us in our lives. Thank you for gathering us here today in this public school where we get to worship you and learn about you, express our gratitude to what you've done for us, receive something from you, and be sent back out into the world, God, forgiven, uh, reminded of who we are as your children, and reminded of the work that you invite us to do uh, to bring your kingdom to Northeast Minneapolis. Open our hearts and our minds this morning as we listen to what you have to say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. I spent most of my life playing basketball. Any basketball players? Both of you. That's great. This is going to really work well then as an analogy. I think I started, I don't remember when I started playing basketball, but it was a really long time ago. And now I have this league I'm playing in with my friends. It's supposed to be the over 35 league. Uh, but I know that I have to check some birth certificates because some of these people seem really younger than that to me, at least when they're running past me on the court. Um, but when I was thinking about that community time question, like who's been a memorable teacher or coach in your life, one guy came to mind for me. His name was Joel Androhovich, which is a hard name to say. But now that I, now, you know, when I don't have elementary school or high school brain on, I realize this guy was in his 40s when he was coaching me, so it's the same decade I'm in now. And he had five times as much energy as I have now. He would come to practice and play like he was 18 years old. He'd play with us for hours and hours and hours and hours. He did camps, he'd stay late, and he just ran circles around us, which I'm sure he now I just enjoyed. He went home and told his wife, like, I'm schooling these 16-year-olds. <clears throat> but one of the things that I realize he did now later is that he didn't just teach me how to play basketball, as many of you had teachers or coaches in your life. He taught me about my life. You know, he helped me grow as a person. So I have one particular way that he taught me that, but I need Isaac to come up here and help me do this analogy, okay? So everybody, please welcome Isaac Eschbach. Isaac is a budding basketball player himself, and so, okay, so here's something that Coach Androhovich, come on over here, I haven't even told him what I'm doing, so he's a little nervous right now, so, okay, so Coach Androhovich would say, look, if you're guarding me and I have the ball, and, and you're trying to keep the ball from being stolen, the key is to hold it really tightly with both hands, so that when you come through, even if you hit it, I want you to hit it as hard as you can when I bring it through, okay, ready? Ready? Here we go. Oh, oh. I missed. here we go. We're trying again. Ready? Okay, a little bit harder. All right, now your turn. Okay, you got it? Ready? One, two, three. One, two, three. See? So he, what he was saying, what Coach Androhovich was saying is, even if someone's trying to steal it, even if you're not very good at hiding it, you can still hang on to it. Here, you take it with me. Give him a round of applause, will you? Thanks, Isaac. Coach Androhovich found me when I was like in third grade, and he convinced me at a really young age, even though I probably weighed nothing, I was a super skinny kid, and I, and I had a growth spurt really late in my life, he convinced me at like third grade by looking at me at my level that I could hang on to this ball, even when these bigger kids were trying to take it away from me. And then you just see this like fierce third grader just ripping the ball through on the court, and these older kids like, what is wrong with this little guy, you know? Um, 
And then when I got to high school, he was still my coach, and he would stay after me. And uh, on, uh, after practice, he would just pound me, like elbow me in the back and foul me like crazy. And I would get so mad at him. I was just like, you are fouling me, old man. I think that's how I referred to him. You are fouling me. I mean, he, just, he would always say, just take it back then. Like, you can have the ball in basketball language. Like, if I fouled you, you can have the ball back. And he would give the ball back to me, and then I would try to score again, and he would just foul me again. And I'd say, you foul me, old man. He said, take it back. And he'd just keep doing this over and over again. And then later, you know, in my basketball career, I realized, at a super young age, he realized that my strength was not enough to really be able to play with some of the bigger people. And so he was trying to teach me from, like, age 10 on how to overcome that part of my game, not being very good. And it ultimately helped me when all the way I got to college basketball, I realized this guy could see way back then what was gonna be necessary for me to be good later on. And even though he's following me like crazy, it was, which is illegal in the game, right? He knew like you're gonna have to be able to take those kinds of fouls and still do something if you're gonna play this game. So when you reflect on these people in your life, whether it was a teacher, a mentor, a music teacher, a coach, whoever it was that's influenced you, sometimes if you reflect back on what they did for you, you realize they're not just teaching you a skill, right? Coach Androhovich wasn't just trying to teach me how to hang on to basketball. He was trying to teach me how to be strong and play beyond my ability in my life. And these, these coaches and teachers, the best ones, they're not just teaching us skills, they're teaching us how to be who we want to be in our lives. And so when we talk about Jesus as a teacher today, what I want you to get more than anything is that Jesus wasn't just teaching people facts about God. He wasn't just teaching people how to survive in the first century or how to be a spiritual person in the first century. He was actually trying to help everyone realize who God created them to be. He was trying to teach them how to be the people that God created them to be, not just particular aspects of their life or their spiritual development. And so we're continuing this conversation that we've been in. We have some images that represent kind of the different conversations that we've had so far. And Stephanie and JD have been teaching us in these different areas. Uh, we've talked about Jesus as a servant. We've talked about Jesus as a shepherd. We talked last week about Jesus being a prophet. And all of these are images that the Bible gives us for how Jesus is our leader in our life. We like to say at Mill City that Jesus is both our savior and our leader. And during Lent and up to Easter, we talked a lot about how Jesus is our savior and how Jesus saves us. And now we're in a conversation about how Jesus actually leads us on a day-to-day -day basis. How do we experience Jesus' leadership? So if you missed any of those sermons, go back and listen to them on millcitychurch.com. Today we're going to focus on Jesus as rabbi or teacher. And my, my biggest point that I'm hoping you take away is that teaching isn't just a classroom thing for Jesus. It's a whole life enterprise. Jesus wants to teach you how to be you in the best way that God designed you. Jesus doesn't want to teach you facts about God. He wants to teach you how to be a son or a daughter of the Most High King. And that's really what he's after. And so this sandals image that we have that Ben designed for us, he did such a terrific job on all of these. The sandals image embodies the fact that Jesus in the first century was a rabbi. 
And a rabbi is synonymous with teacher in the first century. Rabbis taught people, but they didn't just teach them facts. They taught them how to live their lives. They were the guides, the spiritual guides for that period of time. And so Jesus was calling disciples, students, to follow him and learn his way of life or take on his yoke is how they talk about it in biblical language. So I want to read you one of these calling stories. There's several places in scripture where we learn about how Jesus invited these people to be his followers, his students. Uh, And here's one of them in the book of John. John chapter 1. The next day, John the Baptist was there again with two of his students or his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus, like they physically went and followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following him, kind of creepy, right? And he says, what do you want? Or what do you want? Or what do you want? You choose. They say, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Seriously, in the 21st century, this is the creepiest story ever, right? If your first question of somebody who might be your teacher is, where are you staying, they might get a little nervous now. But in the first century, this is the normal first thing to ask. Rabbi, yes, what do you want? Where are you staying? Because I can't be your student, I can't learn from you unless I live with you, unless I follow you around on a day-to-day basis, an hour-to-hour basis. Where are you staying? And so Jesus replies to them, come and you will see. And so they went and saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him and it was about four in the afternoon. Okay, so Jesus invites these young men to be his disciples, to follow him as rabbi, which meant learning his whole way of life, not just particular truths about God that that Jesus believed or taught to other people. And so when they say, where are you staying? They're embracing this idea that we're gonna physically follow this guy around to try to live the life that he's living. So to understand the larger context of what it meant to be trained as a rabbi, you have to realize that rabbis would invite young people, sometimes 13, 14 years old, who had already proven themselves to be the best students of the Torah and of what we call the Old Testament in their young lives. They had already memorized most of what we call the Old Testament. And then a rabbi would notice one of these young students and say, I think that you can be like me. I think that you can live a life that's just like my life. I think that I could train you to do what I'm doing. I see that potential in you as a 13-year-old or a 14-year-old. And then they would invite those people who they thought were the very best students to come and live with them and follow them around and do whatever it was that they were doing, whether they were going to teach in the synagogue, where they were going to visit people, where they were going traveling to another city, the students would follow along with them. So the image of sandal is appropriate because they would be following along uh, the sandals of their rabbi. And one of the phrases that's become popular in the last few years is that students of rabbis would be covered in the dust of their rabbi. 
that they would follow so closely after their rabbi's sandals that the dust would literally come up off of the rabbi's sandals and land on the disciples. So if you're a particularly dusty disciple, it meant you were following your rabbi very, very closely. This is some different than what we think of as teaching. Sometimes when you hear the word teaching, now you think uh, online courses towards a degree certificate, right? Or sitting you know, in a classroom for three or four years to get an undergraduate degree, or going to Spanish class for an hour in middle school, or something like that. But teaching in this setting is very different. It meant you are going to give your whole life to learn the way of life of the particular rabbi that you are following. With a rab- when a rabbi said to a potential disciple, come and follow me, it was the highest level invitation a young Jewish person could receive. You have been accepted into the best school there is. Come and follow me. Follow in the steps of your rabbi means I think you have the potential to be like me. One of my favorite authors, Parker Palmer, wrote a book called uh, The Courage to Teach, which if you're a teacher or you're involved in the teaching profession at all, I highly recommend it to you. The Courage to Teach. And in, in the book, Parker Palmer argues that sometimes we only define teaching in terms of students and subjects. And if we can get the subjects into the students, we did our job. And he says the very best teachers, the ones that you've had in your life, go way beyond subject and student. What they do is they bring their whole self to the topic. And they let what they care about and who they are influence the way they connect students and subjects. So you hear people say things about their great teachers. You know, it was like you could tell the passion that that teacher had for chemistry, right? Or you could, you could tell that they loved that topic even if they weren't teaching it. That's, the, that's how great of a teacher they were. Palmer argues that it isn't just subjects that we're teaching to students, but we're, we're literally teaching who we are to whomever we're teaching. And I know um, as a parent, I have become way more aware of this reality in the last nine or ten years because I realize the, the concepts I'm trying to teach my kids and the things that they're learning from just living with me are really different. They are going to learn who I am by living in my house for 18 years or whatever, whether I like it or not, right? And they're going to learn the good parts of who I am, and they're going to learn the bad parts of who I am. They're going to learn who I am. I'm teaching them who I am, whether I like that or not. There are also moments where you try to intervene and say, I want you to know how to fix a tire, so I'm going to teach you how to fix a tire. But uh, on a moment-to-moment basis, every single day, whether I'm teaching them something in particular or not, I'm teaching them who I am, which is a little scary, right? Like sometimes I see things in them and I'm like, oh, nuts, I'm sorry I gave that to you. I didn't mean to give that one to you. Or I really wish your mom hadn't given that to you. That's terrible. I don't know. I don't know why she did that. She's not here today, so I can say whatever I want. Jesus is inviting these folks to learn who he is when he calls them as, as, a, rap, as a disciple. He wants to teach them about 
how he lives his life and how he relates to God. And more than that, he's saying to these particular people that he called, I think you can be like me. I think you can be like me. And I want you to come and follow me and learn my whole way of life as your rabbi. You have these stories of some of the other calling stories in Scripture where folks are out fishing or whatever, and basically the way the story goes, Jesus calls these people and says, come and follow me, and they kind of dive out of the boat. Like they just, with abandon, like throw their nets at their dad and just dive in the water and like swim to where Jesus is and stand in front of him like, okay, when do we start? Let's go, I'm ready. I gave up fishing like 15 seconds ago. I'm now ready to be a disciple of yours. And most scholars say that the families, most of them, would have celebrated this. This is like a promotion, even though they were a fishing family. Well, you know, my son was called by the rabbi because the rabbi thinks he can be like he is. If you bring this into the 21st century for a second and just hear the message to you individually as you're sitting there this morning, Jesus thinks that you can be like him. Jesus is calling every single person in this room not just to agree with him or understand what he thinks about who God is. He's speaking right to your heart because he knows who you are and he knows the uniqueness of how you've been created and he wants to speak right to you and say, come and follow me because I think you have what it takes to be like me. Isn't that powerful? Jesus is inviting all of us to learn his whole way of life as we follow him as our rabbi. Just take a a thought exercise for a moment and think, what would someone learn if they followed you around for a whole day? Okay, map out a day for yourself for a second. Just take a second. Make a mental list of what you're probably gonna do tomorrow, okay? Things like wake up, eat, Text somebody, travel somewhere, text somebody, learn something, talk to your friends, text somebody, email, work, text somebody, buy some stuff, text somebody. If someone had unfettered access to your life and they could follow you around and you weren't going to change your behavior, right? You weren't going to change your normal behavior, and they followed you around, and they were covered in your dust. What would they learn? What would they learn about what you love, about what you care about? What would they learn about where you struggle in your life? I mean, that's a scary level of transparency, and no one's going to do that, right? That's fine. But as a thought exercise, to imagine somebody inviting you into that level of intimacy to say, I don't want to just teach you how to build an online company or a website. I want to teach you how I live my life, every aspect of it. I want to show you how I send text messages and how many I send and when I send them. To whom? Sorry. Jesus opens his whole life to these disciples because he believes they can be like them. So I want to turn a corner and say, All right, what is it that Jesus wants to teach us, right? So you get the picture that Jesus doesn't want to just teach you 
some true things about God. He wants to teach you how to live your life in the 21st century. He wants you to follow him because he believes you can be like him. And that means letting Jesus lead you by teaching you how to live every part of your life, your financial choices, your relationships, your cultural views, the way you interact on the internet, the, the way you em, embrace devotional life, your every, everything, every aspect of what you do, Jesus wants to teach you how to live that the way he would. That's way different than thinking about coming to church on Sunday and learning one nugget that might can, maybe can help you, right? Like Jesus wants your whole life and is inviting you to become like him. So I started thinking about, well, what specifically does Jesus want to teach us? And it's overwhelming the number of things that Jesus wants to teach us. So I made you this really long list, and I'm going to put it up on the screen. And I want you to grab one of the bullets that comes up on the screen here in the next few minutes as one potential area that maybe Jesus would like you to pay close attention to, that Jesus could teach you something about. And I'll just walk through them for a couple minutes. Here are the kinds of things that Jesus did teach his disciples while they were following around, while he was living on earth, okay? Number one, he taught them how to tell people that the kingdom of God is near. He taught them to tell people, here's how you announce that the kingdom of God is near. Do you know how to tell people in your everyday life how the kingdom of God is near to them and to you? Okay, second one. He taught them how to heal people who were sick. And, and one story was that they were trying to heal someone who was sick and, and they couldn't do it and he got annoyed with them. Like, how long is it going to take you to pick this up, right? He intended to teach them how to bring healing into other people's lives through the power of prayer. Is that something that you need to learn or would like to learn or allow Jesus to teach you? He taught them real plainly how to talk to God. How do you, what language do you use? How do you address God? And what kinds of things do you say to God? He taught them that. He taught them the importance of praying for enemies and not resisting the people who were against him. He taught them how to serve other people, how to be a servant, which Stephanie talked about a number of Sundays ago. How to listen for the guidance of the Holy Spirit. How to pay attention when God was trying to get their attention. How to defend those who couldn't defend themselves. How to engage people outside their normal social, cultural, racial groups and identities. How to expand yourself beyond your normal people and engage and learn from others. How to teach people about who God is and talk about God. He taught the religious leaders uh, of the Jewish um, the Jewish religious crew, the, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin. He taught them how to be born again. He used this metaphor to say, you have to choose to follow me and to experience new life. He, he taught his disciples how to endure suffering in some amazing ways. He taught them how to offer and receive forgiveness. He taught them how to resolve conflict. He taught them how to resist evil and to avoid temptation. And as you start making this list, those of you who've read some of what Jesus did in the Gospels, it goes on and on and on and on and on, right? The bullet points are almost endless of the things that he taught them. He just didn't teach them about those things. He showed them how to do them. And he did those things with them. 
And so just take a second and go over that list. Maybe flip back to that first slide just for a second. I really want you to see if there's one bullet that stands out to you that might be something that God would want to teach you. All right, next slide. Here's my personal answer to which one of these stands out to you, to, to, to me. Uh, Ashish and I got to go on a trip a couple of weeks ago to New York City where a friend of mine has been working to help start new churches in New York City and also network churches together to try to cooperate better and uh, do, be do more and better ministry in New York City. And um, I don't know, when you, go to, when you go to New York City, if you've been to New York City, um, it can be a really overwhelming place. You, you land and you can't see anything because every building is as big as the biggest building we have in Minneapolis and has this high energy to the city. And I think when I was going to this conference, even though I know my friend Drew and I, I know kind of what he's up to there, uh, I thought, man, whatever they're doing here in New York City, it's got to be cutting edge, right? How do you start churches in New York City? That sounds like... And we went through two days of... Uh, teaching sessions and workshops and prayer times and worship services. And one thing stood out to me very clearly about all the different presentations, and they were all over the place, too. How do you start a church with people who are experiencing homelessness? To uh, how do you start a church with people who don't even believe Christianity is true and, and everything else? One message came through to me so clearly each session, and that was that every person who spoke said, the most important thing that we've done as leaders in whatever the thing is we're doing is that we prayed. And um, even Dr. Tim Keller, who's a kind of famous Christian person who spoke one night, said, look, if you're going to start new churches in New York City or anywhere else, if you don't pray, you might as well give up. Because either you're going to do something that, that ends up going sideways or you're going to lose heart and, and not accomplish the thing. If you're going to be a Christian person who starts a church in New York City, you absolutely have to pray you're going to die. And I'm sitting there, and I don't know if you've had this experience sometimes where you kind of, you're going through a couple days and you're trying to reflect, maybe you're out of your normal context. But it was like just this laser-focused message to me from God, somebody who, real honestly, like if you followed me around, uh, you'd find out, highly value my self-reliance, come from a family that has a high value of self-reliance, hate asking for help, like to believe I can do things on my own, just, you know, and that's one of the things I'm passing on to these little people who live in my house. But I felt like God was saying, you've, you've kind of got in a rut here, and you're depending too much on your own ability, and you think you can solve things, and you can't and you have to listen to me, and you have to depend upon me, and you have to wait on me, and you have to let me be me. And it was convicting in a sense, but also like this huge burden is lifted from me in two days. And standing next to Ashish, who 
loves any worship experience anywhere and is just singing his heart out because he doesn't have to lead it right now and he just gets to experience it. It was, it was really fun. And I'm standing there next to him thinking, God is just telling me to pray more, to slow down, to listen, to pray. And so I return to this text that many of you know and are familiar with where Jesus just said, so how do you pray? Jesus wants to teach us how to pray. I'm just going to read this briefly. This, then, is how you should pray, Jesus says to the disciples. Very straightforward. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And the thing about this prayer that struck me so much in those moments was, Tim Keller said, if you don't spend a lot of time on that first line, hallowed be your name, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. If you don't spend time just telling God that you love him, adoring God is the way he put it, praising God, like don't worry about the daily bread and all, all the other things, like just get, just they're, they're after the first part. Stay in the first part and just tell God that you love God. And why? Like if you were actually having a personal conversation with someone that you cared a lot about and you were taking one of those moments to, to look them in the eyes and say, let me tell you one thing I love about you. That was that moment for me where God was just saying, hey, just, just calm down with all your plans and let's talk about how we feel about each other. And it was this moment where I realized I needed to remember that I'm a disciple of a rabbi and the rabbi was speaking to me through a whole bunch of people and zeroing in, kind of like Steph said last week, like sometimes you just have those moments where your heart feels it and you know God's speaking to you. Listen, slow down and just remember who I am. Remember why you love me. Remember that I love you. And if you have that identity, then whatever other challenges or things that are going on in your life, you can weather them way differently because you're sure about who I am and who I think you are. That's whole life discipleship. That's a rabbi sitting someone down and saying, you can be more like me, but right now, you need to focus on this. And so, I want to conclude today, and I'll invite the band to come back up, by really emphasizing for you the message that Jesus believes more in you then you even believe in yourself. And letting Jesus be your teacher, being led by Jesus as a rabbi means allowing Jesus to tell you, you can do this. You can be like me. Not because you're some sort of superstar, but because you're open enough to let me, by the power of the Holy Spirit, help you to become more like me in your life. And maybe one of those bullet points struck you this morning and I encourage you to pray about it. Or another thing that you could do is go home and read Matthew's chapter 5, 6, and 7, which is the largest block of Jesus' teaching we have, the Sermon on the Mount, and see if something in what Jesus says there strikes you as particularly important right now. But whatever the topic is, the most important thing to remember is that Jesus has chosen you and invited you to be his disciple and to be your rabbi. And Jesus believes that you can be like him. 
And so if all of us embrace that, even though we're totally different and we have different gifts and we have different callings and God invites us into different things, if we start from the place of believing that Jesus is our rabbi and he believes that we can be like him, then we can be good students and we can encourage others to be good students and we can share the good news with other people we know. Jesus wants to teach you how to be who you are and follow in his footsteps. Let me pray and then we'll step into communion together. Jesus, it's very hard for us to grasp the invitation that you're extending to us. It's hard for us to, to feel the weight of your love for us and, the, and how much more you believe in us than we even believe in ourselves. And so in a renewed way, God, when we come forward for communion today, we want to accept that you have done for us what we can't do for ourselves, that you have offered us forgiveness and healing for the broken parts of our lives, for the parts of our lives that we don't want anyone to follow us around in, and, and that you don't want guilt or shame to hold us back from believing in ourselves the way that you believe in us. Every one of us, as we come forward, God, comes forward with brokenness and sin and in need of your forgiveness, and we accept your body and your blood as a sacrifice that covers those things and cleanses us from things that are wrong in us so we can go into the world and be part of your salvation project. Thank you for whispering to us this morning, Jesus, that you believe in us, that you invite us to become like you. Help us to open our hearts to any area of our life where we need your teaching, where we need your guidance, where we need to be transformed by your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you think about leaving today, I want to point your attention to somebody in your life this week who needs you to see them and see the potential that they have. And even if it's a small moment where you can encourage them or compliment them or tell them that you see what they can be in their life. We've all been changed by those people in our lives. So live out your calling as a Jesus follower this week by seeing that potential in somebody else and calling it out in them, okay? Thank you so much for worshiping with us here uh, on Sunday. We're grateful always to have you guys with us.